This podcast is brought to you by Media 8. Welcome to Off the Cuff with Kel, conversations from the front line, a podcast and live show for survivors and the leaders who support them. I'm your host, Kelly Humphreys, a survivor of child sexual abuse, advocate, author, speaker, ambassador, a lover of all things outdoors with over 15 years of law enforcement experience. Please support me in my mission to break cycles of abuse and trauma. You can help by donating to my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. Some of the content that you will see tonight may be triggering, so listener discretion is advised. Child sexual abuse, domestic violence, trauma, and some other related themes are likely to be discussed. So, to kick off this show with the wonderful Anna Bowden, I'm so excited. And Anna has a heart connection for her work, so I'm just going to introduce her, guys. Um, She's the CEO of ICMIC, which is the International Centre for Missing and Exploited Children Australia. (laughs) Uh, She has her own story of survival and she is the epitome of triumph over tragedy. She's impacted change across governments uh, through the world through her social impact strategy, consulting, and she has a deep understanding of governance that's put her way at the top of her game. Uh, She's a passionate leader, a mum of two babies and an absolutely inspiring human being. I'm so excited and so blessed to have you here, Anna. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Kel. Um, I don't know that the introduction was was totally accurate. I would have played it down a bit, but um, honestly, you're such an inspiration to me. So thank you for having me on. It's a true honour. I'm like proper excited. I just guys, just so you know, like the conversations that I've had with Anna over the last week have been mind blowing and empowering. And ICMIC as an organisation in Australia is like. I'm just going to say it. There's even a wonderful lady, Fran, who's sitting in the background helping to run this live show courtesy of ICMIC Australia. So I'm just so grateful for the partnerships, the connections, the people just that continue to show up in this space when you continue to put yourself out there. So I'm just grateful for you, Anna, grateful for ICMIC Australia and so excited for what we're going to talk about tonight. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. And and, and I should disclose to everyone too that um, partly Kel and I really kicked it off. Um, she wrote to me and said, would you would you talk here and would you tell your story? And I was like, uh, I've, I've never done this before. <laughs> so um, you're going to have to kind of hold my hand a bit. I've, I've never really spoken publicly about this. So um, you're all going to hear it probably for the first time. And, you know, my full respect to Kel, as she said, we, we really kicked it off and um, I feel safe telling it with her. So thank you. Um, thank you for, for taking me on this journey. Well, we're having a start of journey. It's going to be <laughs> a journey we get to take together. So it's really exciting and, um, you know, very courageous of you and very brave to take that step. So I fully acknowledge that and I thank you for that courage. So on that note, It is really important for anyone who is listening to feel safe, seen and heard when you are talking about stories that are really tough. Um, So, again, we want this to be a safe space. So if you're out there listening, um, you do have the opportunity to send your chats in. um, So just please make them as respectful as possible. We'd love to hear your encouraging words as well um, just to keep us going because this is going to be a very powerful conversation. So starting with you, Anna, obviously... I am a survivor myself. A lot of people know my story. Um, I was abused from the age of eight all the way through to 15 by my uncle, who was very 
close to our family, very loved and respected in our family, um, and nobody knew, knew what was going on uh, for a very long time. Uh, he groomed us uh, very powerfully, groomed my parents, obviously, in order to have access to me. So, you know, it was it's a very difficult as a child growing up myself, and I know I've, I've read just a little bit of a summary that you sent through to me, um, and, wow, like you have such an inspiring story. So tell us, tell us a little bit about how it started. Yeah. Um, thanks. Thanks, Kel. So, um, you know, the, the, the real truth is I, I don't remember how young I was when it first started. Um, I mean, obviously, as a young child, you don't have very clear memories of, of the early days. Um, what I do know is that there were two people who abused me through my childhood. Um, one was very close inside the family and he was a boy. Um, so he was three years older than me. And um, he had, you know, I, I don't want to go into too much detail about how close he was in the family, but he had access to me at any time um, that he, he needed to. And the abuse was on and off. Um, it was, you know, different levels of severity. Sometimes it was pretty bad sometimes it wasn't much like it was it was kind of okay and you kind of handle it as a kid as as much as you think at the time that's what mm. you do um and so that went on for years um on and off um and I actually honestly thought that that was kind of it like that was my story and it was just something that um you know I don't know if you grappled with this but when you experience these things, you do try and downplay it. Um, I think yeah. in terms of like, oh, you know, so many worse things have happened to other people. But also that's a survival technique, right? Like you don't really want to face how bad it is. Um, but I had, you know, chronic, you know, all the typical symptoms, chronic anxiety and depression and a whole bunch of chronic illnesses, in fact, um, throughout my life and got, you know, shunted into psychologists over the years and never really lasted very long with any of them because they'd always say to me, like, your, your behaviour is pretty textbook, you know, child sexual assault history. Do you want to talk about that? Like, do you want to go into it? Do you want to, you know, try and figure out what the memory is? I was like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, I know who it is. It's this boy. And, you know, he was very close in the family. And um, that's cool. Like, let's just let's just keep a lid on that. Like, rather not know. Um, and so I kind of thought that was it. And, you know, there was a lot of broader dysfunction in the family that I had to deal with for, for my entire life. Um, and then like a much bigger event um, became apparent to me. And here's the weird thing. It only really became apparent two years ago. Um, and yeah. it was almost exactly two years ago. Um, and I can like, I can remember the moment so, so vividly. So over, over the years, I had said to, you know, my parents um, in particular, really only my parents, like, why did I have to stay at that guy's house? So this was an older man. Um, he was a family friend of um, my parents. Um, and as I said, you know, there was there was a bit of dysfunction. I think there was plenty of partying going on um, in the family. And, you know, I said, you know, wh why did I have to stay at his house? And why did I have to sleep in his bed? Um, it felt so wrong and so gross. Um, and I said that kind of on and off over the years. And and they were just like, well, I'm sure, I'm sure it was nothing. Like, I, you know, it's no big deal. Um, and he used to take us out to a lot of activities, like all that grooming stuff that you just mentioned was was there. Um, turns out I'm, I'm actually a pretty good ice skater now because he took me ice skating all the time. Um, and so, you know, classic family friend was sort of doing the babysitting thing. Um, so anyway, um, I, I knew that something had happened, but I didn't really have the full memory of it. And then and I would have been about age, I don't know, I don't know what the age was, I really don't know. But I think maybe between six and eight or something. Um, and I think I stayed a couple of times, but again, it's, it's foggy. Um, 
So a couple of years ago in the the absolute pressure cooker that is COVID, like all of our mental health was just mm. awful. I was on the treadmill because um, we're all locked down and exercise has always been my coping strategy. And I was on the treadmill and I was listening to this other podcast, totally innocuous, right? Like I was probably nerding out on business strategy or something. And the narrator tells a story about how his younger baby sister was sexually abused by a stranger. Um, so a guy turned up in the front yard and took this little girl into the back mm. of the van. And it is like it was just telling the story and I I literally, I, I was running at full pace because I was pretty ragey and I fell off the treadmill. Like, you know, when your legs, like, they just spin off and they, I fell yeah. off, I flew off the treadmill and I just started vomiting and it was just oh, wow. so, like, so clear to me, like, how all these pieces added up and, and not just you know, like why I stayed in his house and what happened in that house, like the images were just like flooding at me in this way that was just awful. Like it was like I'd got, I'd been thrown back into it and I had to, I had to relive it. Um, and I, I was vomiting and I, I went into the bathroom and stuff. Like I literally, I was like howling. I was absolutely hysterically crying and vomiting, all this kind of stuff. And, and I had a, at the time, um, my daughters were one and three. Um, so this is two years ago. And my husband came in and I'm, I'm like sprawled out on, on the bathroom floor. And he said, he just said to me, like, who died? Like it's that guttural reaction of like, who died? And, you know, it was the first time I ever had to vocalize it. And I was just frozen <laughs> for a while. Like he just held me and I, I was just like, I, like, I just, I just couldn't say it. Um, so it, in any way, it came out and I said, there's this guy um, and he, you know, he did these things. And now I remember like he, I was in the bed and he told me, you don't tell your parents and, and this and, and that. And, um, you know, let me show you how grownups make love. And, you know, and that's like, they're the bits I remember. It's not clear. Right. And, and that's been really a blessing in some ways, but it's also been quite difficult to not have very clear, like, okay, this happened and it went this far, but it didn't go that far, right? So mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Um, and I think that's fairly common. So, you know, when it first happened, I was a bit like, this is so weird. Like, why would it come flooding back to me when I'm 37 years old? This doesn't make any sense. Like, and then um, the most amazing thing, I've got a very, very good friend who's a specialist in child sexual assault psychology. And she called me up like a couple of weeks after I'd had this epiphany. I hadn't, I hadn't said anything to anyone because I just wasn't ready. And she called me up and she was like, Anna, and it was the bravest conversation anyone's ever had with me. She's like, Anna, and I'm, excuse my language, tell me to fuck off if I'm going too far. I've booked you into the hospital to the Child Sexual Assault Victims Unit. There's an appointment at this time at this day. She's like, go or don't go. And that's totally your choice. But I've booked you in and I think you need to talk to someone. And it was then that I said, okay, um, you know, and, and I've checked with her first I can say her name's Julie so I said Julie like this thing happened and like like surely you can tell me this is un, un, not real right like why would I remember it she's like Anna most people do and she's like honestly like the more traumatic it is the more likely you are to have blocked it out like of course like the brain's doing its thing right yeah. Yeah. Um, and of course and she's like and often people do Kind of discover when they're in that high adrenaline like running on a treadmill or doing something that's like the cortisol starts to release and for whatever reason there's a trigger and for me it was like a podcast and and it all just comes flooding back and she's like it's it's classic like it's really classic um 
And so then um, she and I kind of, she helped me get into the right service and start talking with someone who, who was very much saying the same thing, like this is, this is how, it, how it goes um, often. Um, and I still had this like, oh, God, please just, I just, want, I just want to make it not true, right? Like I just want to make it not true. And I didn't have the, the guts to, to kind of look him up and see what was going on. Um, but I eventually, like months later, I fessed up to my sister um, and she looked him up and she and she just basically, she told me a while after, she wasn't sure if I could handle it, um, she said, the guy's in prison and he's, he's done this to multiple kids. She's like, I'm so sorry, but, like, mm. there's no way we can take this story back anymore. Um, and, and, and that was it, right? And that's, that's where we are. Wow. There's so much to unpack in that, but thank you for sharing that. That's... Again, that was your first time speaking it out loud. So I wish I could just give you a big hug because that's just, you know, very courageous. Um, so much, so much has happened in there. Like, did you find in the beginning, um, obviously, so it was peer to peer, there's not a lot of conversation around peer to peer uh, child sexual assault. And um, it's, it's very much not spoken about. Um, but, you know, did you at any point in time, were you able to have a conversation with someone about what was going on with that person? No, no. So I, well, that's, that's actually, that's not true. I think it's, it's been raised quite a lot. Um, and I think there was like, this is the hard thing, right? And I think this is kind of what you're getting at is that like, it was spoken about a lot, but it was also like, there's always like, not always, but there's often this kind of like, oh, that's just kids being kids. Right. Mm -hmm. like, that's just kids exploring and developing. Um, and I'm like, no, like, you know, there were times when he would, he would be physically really, really brutal, like brutal, like tie me into the bed type brutal. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't just kids exploring. Um, it was never, it was like, there's, there's no way any child can give consent. Right. But it wasn't like, a, it wasn't even a both way pathway. Right. Like it was like, it was, I'm going to dominate you um, and you're going to know that I am going to make your life hell. Um, and, you know, from what I understand too, like it wasn't just me that he was doing that too. Um, so mm -hmm. he had a fairly traumatic childhood himself, um, but there were other kids that were constantly kind of honestly petrified of him. He was, he was pretty scary. Wow. <laughs> That's Thank you again. That's more, more obviously going deeper and deeper as we have this conversation. And, you know, I, I think when you're a kid and you're in that situation, you go into those trauma responses of, you know, fight, flight, fear, fawn. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, we often mm -hmm. sit there and we, we blame ourselves almost. Mm. I mean, I, I know for myself that um, I, I fawn, I, I fell into that fawning pattern because yeah. it kept me safe. You know, I know, and, and what fawn is for, for anyone who's listening is you basically do what you need to do to stay safe. But in this, in the mind of a child, it almost feels like consent. It feels mm -hmm. like you're saying, I'm consenting to this. And, and, and there's a lot of guilt in that. And there's a lot of guilt that nobody really talks about because, you know, it's just kind of hidden under that shame blanket. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if, if you know, that was your experience in, yeah. in those moments and obviously you're saying you were dominated. So, mm. you know, there's a lot going on 
in those small mo mm -hmm. moments and those moments when you were like really thinking like how do I get out of this or mm -hmm. you know what was it for you like what was those those small yeah. moments were you thinking yeah so um I I'm I was completely the same I was fawn I was absolutely fawn and um you know I think at at my best moments I give myself a little bit of sympathy which is not not very often but um, you know, I look back now and I'm like, oh man, why didn't I fight it? Why didn't I say more? Like, why didn't I just, you know, say I'm, I'm out, like I'm, you know, do the flight or, or fight. Um, the truth is like, what choice do you have when you're a six-year-old kid, right? Like yeah. if I had gone, um, like what, what was I going to do? Like go out on the streets as a six-year-old? Like I had like no one to turn to. Um, and so fawn was actually the safest tactic that I had in my books right and um that's that's just what I had to do to survive and and one of the things that um you know I've kind of I'm trying to convince myself of is that actually it's quite it's quite bloody clever isn't it right like if you're a small kid to be strategizing how to survive as a six-year-old to be like do you know what I know that this man or boy is going to get fired up if I do something. Um, I just, it's its just best if I just keep this as low key as I possibly can. Like it's its not stupid, right? Like the, the human brain is actually doing what it needs to do in that moment. Yeah. Um, it'll mess you up for life, but in that moment, that's, that's true. what you needed. I, I, I understand. I hear what you're saying and yes, oh, my God, and so many of um you know, particularly the women I talk to, they're just like, oh, why does my body do this? Or why did my body betray me? Or why did, you know, why did I think like this? Or or they beat themselves up for so long for the way that they responded when it's actually just the way that we're made, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and we fall into this pattern of, like, beating ourselves up for how we mm. survived. And, you know, you have to acknowledge that that, you know, like you said, how clever was that? Mm. You know, you know, how smart were you? Like, you... And, and I guess that comes down, that's that definition of, of survival. Like mm -hmm. we were talking about this in the conversation the other day. We like really hate the term survivor because mm. it's like, oh, well, I didn't die, you know. Mm. Yeah. But, you know, it does feel like life and death in those mm. in those small moments, those repeated moments, like, you know, every time the abuse is happening, well, what's going to happen next? Or, mm -hmm. you know, so you do what you got to do in those small moments, in those every single moments and those small decisions but, but they're massive decisions you know really and yeah. you just get through you just get yeah. you just get through yeah yeah you know yeah absolutely um and, no you're right go ahead no no i was just gonna say in the other thing is that you you kind of you develop other skills, right? Like, oddly, like, I'm really damn good at reading a room now. Like, walk me oh into God. a room and I'm like, good guy, bad guy, good guy, bad guy. <laughs> yes. That person, they're not paying any, but because you have to, right? Like, you have yeah. to know when's safe, when's not, when to change the tone in the room, when to shift it, um, when when you need to, to exit, you know, all that kind of stuff. Like, it's you know, and, and that's just one of them. Like I, I also can, I can contain a lot of information in my head because I would walk into a room and I would do like the security surveillance, right? Like you'd be like, this is going to happen. And then at this, this time, uh, my parents are going to be going out, like the babysitter's coming in, like, this is going to be super dangerous. So this is how we're going to lay it out. Right. Like, and like, it is, it's almost like playing a game in your head. And at the time it made, 
just made perfect sense to me. Like I, I never questioned that that's not what every single other kid on the planet was doing with their time. Yeah. And we have to acknowledge, I think, as adults, when we, we, we think back to those moments and, and what we did and, and, and just be like, you know what, I, I actually did okay. Mm-hmm. Like I was mm-hmm. really brave. Mm-hmm. I was really courageous, mm-hmm. you know, and just because for me there was many times I thought, man, you're such a coward, Humphreys. Like, fuck, why can't you just fucking tell him to get stuffed, like piss off and, you know, like where's your voice? Like you're a big tough chick. Like you can throw hammers and discuses and hurdle barbed wire fences. I'm like, come on, why can't you like yell at him? Why can't you say no? You know, and I would beat the shit out of myself all the time for this like fear I, I had of like speaking up, you know. Mm-hmm. And we just we don't acknowledge we 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 think of ourselves. How do I see if I can get this right? As an adult, we think of ourselves as as the, the children, but we're like kind of referring to ourselves as an adult. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Like we kind of think, oh, I should have done this and I should have done that. But how could you? You're a child. Yeah. Yeah. You're a child. Like, mm. and and I think forgiveness is, you know, a big word. But I think the most important thing for any survivor is, is that self-forgiveness, is to, mm-hmm. to recognise it's not your fault. You didn't do the wrong thing. That person is an adult. You are a child trying to make adult decisions about things that you're not meant to make decisions about. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, and and this whole beating yourself up about this stuff. I mean, I don't know. That's that's I've spent a long time doing that. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. No, and um, I, I one of the biggest triggers for me is just feeling really weak, right? Like just feeling like like the victim. Like I was just this weak prey, right? And they could just do what they wanted, and and I couldn't fight back, and. I can't like like I hate that right like I hate that I didn't ever have the opportunity to change that narrative um I'd be curious to hear I mean you so you talked about obviously your experience was with your uncle um Mm -hmm. which is horrific um how much how much do you think you kept it quiet because you didn't want to bother the rest of the family yes this is big yes 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 a hundred percent, and I could talk. We're going to talk about. We're going to. We're going to do another episode on this, people. <laughs> Sorry, I've taken us off. I've taken us off track. <laughs> um, yeah, but like it, it's just. Uh, I I I'm a very. Um, oh God, now you got me going. What have you done to me? Um, so no, but this is this is so true, and uh, we don't realize it. But I I really feel like predators have a type, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I and I haven't studied like offender psychology and that sort of stuff, but I, I really believe from what I know and from the people that I've spoken to in my circle that perpetrators of sexual violence have a type and they prey on the, those who are, um, uh, I won't say weak because that's not the right word, but they're kind and they're caring mm-hmm. and they're loving mm-hmm. and they want to give, right? And, and I was talking about this with Dr. Sher the other day when we were writing a course and it was just so powerful. And it comes down to the principle of reciprocity, right? So you want, so the, the perpetrator who's grooming you gives you something. So what do you do? You're obliged, you feel obliged because of who you are and how kind you are to give that that person something back, right? And so you do that even as a small child because it's embedded into your beautiful little heart and your beautiful, sweet innocence. 
and they prey on that and take full advantage of you. And I fucking hate it. It is so wrong. But I noticed that in all these young, beautiful, like innocent children and, and these wonderful adults that they've become who share their hearts with me, you know, they're beautiful, kind souls. And when it comes down to it, I really think it's the protector in us, mm. that protector in us, that beautiful young warrior who doesn't want to hurt mum or dad, who doesn't mm -hmm. want to hurt his sister, or doesn't want to break up that family unit. You know, they're just like, it's okay, I'll just do it. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll let him do this to me. This is me. I'll let him do this to me and he won't touch my sister. Yeah. And he won't touch my brother. Mm -hmm. Not that I thought for one second he would offend against a male, but, you know, this is me being a, a child having trying to have adult conversations with myself, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, but yeah. I, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember yourself, like, thinking if I tell my parents I'm going to, you know, they're going to get rid of this other person or? Not, you know? not explicitly. I mean, I don't think... I don't think that was kind of an option to to get rid of them or to get you know me out of the situation. I don't think that was an option. But um, I very much like I craved I craved just their love, right? Like as, yeah. as any child does. Mm -hmm. And like I know, like on some level, I was petrified that if I told them this thing, I'd be unlovable, right? Like I just there's no. I, I would not, it would be, it would be a bad reflection on me and there's all the shame and there's all that kind of stuff. But also like I would be just a huge pain in the ass for the family, right? And and that's always been like my thing has always been probably related to this. I just don't like being difficult to anyone. Like I don't, I don't even like being late to a meeting. Like I just, I hate that. I hate it. I hate bothering anyone. Um, and so I think a lot of it is probably just me just I just didn't want to be difficult um and so it was just easier for me to just kind of keep it quiet and not be difficult um that's that seemed kind of easier right and and then like and then I kind of hate myself for that because I'm just like like talk about like like, it, it, honestly, if I'm really, really honest about it, it feels a bit pathetic of me, right, to be like, oh, I just want them to love me and so I won't I won't make life difficult for anyone. Like, it's just, it's bullshit, right? Like, it's total bullshit. I know that now if I think about Anna as a child, as you said, like, in the abstract, like, if it was any other child, like, oh, my God, what I would do to disrupt that. But when I think about myself, I'm just like, oh, God, Anna, seriously, shut up. Like, stop it. Just uh -huh. stop it. It's, yeah, it's difficult. Oh, I just think, I mean, how courageous are you in those moments making those, like, we don't acknowledge it as an adult. We just, like, kind of beat the shit out of ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have these, like, internal conversations, as you're saying, but flip it and you just have to, like, think about, I think about my nieces and nephews and, you know, their beautiful, sweet little innocent faces and I was like, oh, my God, if I had to make that decision, I'd be so proud of them. Mm -hmm. I'd be so proud of them, Yeah, you know, and... I, I often go back to that, especially if I'm having a really shit day mm. and I, I can feel the self-hatred and I'm like, oh, you know what, just stop the roller coaster. And I have to interrupt those thoughts because they just, yeah. they're like a steamroller, Yeah, you know, yeah. and they just keep coming. But, you know, I'm, I'm just, I just, I acknowledge like you've, you've gone through so much stuff and I'm thinking of like all these things and, um, you know, as a, as a child, like I know that how they've shown up in my adult life, 
Mm-hmm. You know, particularly I don't do well with personal confrontation. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a people pleaser. You kind of touched on it before um, about, you know, trying not to rock the boat sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, don't like being late for meetings. <laughs> you know, you're just kind of afraid, you know, just to to sort of be seen. And that's you know, it, it's easier to kind of hide and then to put yourself out there. I guess that's why we're both sitting here <laughs> before we started this podcast. Going, oh my god, we're so nervous. <laughs> but okay, well, we're all right. We're doing all right. Um, but yeah, like that whole people pleasing behavior. That's yeah. to me, like I I think of that as fawning. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's people pleasing and fawning is the same thing. So we manifest these um, child trauma behaviors in adulthood by kind of not being able to set those really strong boundaries yeah. and being able to say this is my time. And I've often really struggled to have strong boundaries and mm-hmm. to not to to be able to say no to people and say yeah. you know what I can't do that. Like I just want to help and you know you kind of just end up doing so much stuff and you're not really looking after yourself in that there's no self-care I mean what is that mm-hmm. anyway you know mm-hmm. I don't yeah. know anything about getting my nails done don't own a handbag what's a facial I don't know <laughs> 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 I've got a man bag all right not a handbag but <laughs> you know it's it's got to be self-care has to be looked at as being able to set those boundaries and being like do you know what I'm I'm not okay with this and you know, I've often found myself in prior to now, prior to me doing the work um, and, you know, really working on my healing is finding myself in shitty, like, relationships or mm-hmm. in, in places where I haven't been able to have a conversation and say, hey, this is not fucking working for me. <laughs> like, it's not working. I'm not okay with how you do this or this. You know, I just I couldn't because I was in that, that fawning behavior you know mm-hmm. and I, I really struggle with that it's still struggle I can sit here and I can talk down some dude who's got a gun because obviously everybody knows I'm a police officer but not at the moment all right um, disclaimer <laughs> but you know I can talk down some crazy guy on the street or you know I can be absolutely peeing my pants and and still be able to manage the situation in front of me but like when I have the one-on-one with the person that's closest to me I, I can't cope mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 Totally. And I mean, I think that's why you're so, so brave for talking about it because not talking about it is also people pleasing, right? Yeah. So, because yes. you never want to have this conversation with anyone. Like, it's like people talk about the shame, like the shame, it's, it's huge, right? It is, it is just, it is enormous. But one of the reasons that, you know, I personally, and I think a lot of people don't talk about it, is because you don't want to make anyone else uncomfortable. (laughs) You sit in that room and you tell people, like, you know, when it comes up to it, and you know that they're squirming, right? They're squirming in their seat and they're uncomfortable. And it's like, again, as a people please, you're like, I don't don't really want to make them uncomfortable. So it's best I just just hold it, right? Like, I'll take care of this. I won't Mm. tell anyone. Because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to spread the pain. Um, to be really honest, and that, like, that is one of the biggest reasons. In fact, probably the biggest reasons I haven't spoken out about this, um, because like, there's so much fear for me about how it might affect the people around me um, and how they might be perceived, um, or they might have, you know, just 
just be really uncomfortable about it, right? And I don't, I don't want to spread it. <laughs> um, and that's really hard. Yeah, it's interesting. It's you're really raising and well, look, I'm I'm seeing really far ahead, but my brain's not catching up to what I'm seeing. So let me try and get this right. Um, we basically avoid talking about this to make everybody else comfortable, right? So we're kind of doing that whole people pleasing thing, but it's also really silencing. Mm. It's really mm. silencing. It's a it's it's a big reason people don't come forward. It's a big reason people don't share what's going on. It's a big reason for our mental health problem, you know, and there's there's lots of questions and stuff that are, we're going to sort of try to tackle at the end of this. But, um, you know, being able to have the right people in your life, people that um, you know, that you know, that you know, that have your back, that love you unconditionally, that you can say whatever the fuck you like and they are going to be there. They are going to love you no matter what you say. They're going to see you at your worst and love you at your best and your worst, and they're still going to be there at the end. Mm-hmm. You know, and you've got to find those people, and and that's mm-hmm. the only environment, as far as I'm concerned, it's the only environment where you're going to be able to um, learn to put those boundaries in place to to safely go. Okay, you know what? Um, I've never been able to do this before, but I'm I'm really scared to have this conversation with you. But you know can can we just not do this or mm-hmm. um you know i don't really like going to bars because this is where the thing happened you know and having someone who's really okay with that and not going to question it and not going to be like oh well why fucking why don't you just go get some fucking help like mm-hmm. i've had that happen before it's like completely dismisses what's what's going on and it's not actually acknowledging or validating the experience at all so mm-hmm. you've got to have the right people mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I think there's like a huge amount of work that um, also needs to kind of, it's it's more a messaging thing of like, how, how do you react when someone discloses to you, right? So we're at, you know, ICMEC in Australia, we're doing a lot of work on um, how do we respond when people come to us, which is happening more and more and said, like, thank you so much for the work you do. Like, I'm a survivor. I haven't told anyone. Um, this is kind of my story. Like, how do we respond adequately? Because I think, like, the vast majority of society don't know what to do. And to be really frank, and now I'm going to get a little bit ragey, but, like, there's so much pressure. There's so much pressure on survivors to kind of speak up, right? Like, it's, yes, like, don't get me wrong, it's good. Like, it it is very good. And actually, I can point you to science that says that, like, the mental and physical benefits of of getting it out is actually quite profound. Um, so it is it is really good, but it's hard as hell. Like it is so hard. Um, but there's also like there's very little discussion about like, okay, so when we ask people to tell their story, how are we going to behave when they do, right? Mm. So are, are we going to like turn a blind eye to this? Are we going to say, oh, oh, that sounds bad, um, run, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and that happens right like and one of the worst reactions you can give someone first of all the worst thing you can do is is not believe them like i tell you what no one's making this shit up right like no one is making this up you you don't you don't put yourself in this position um for any reason right for any reason um and then like the other thing you can you can not believe them you can you can criticize them you can also just not respond right like that's also not helpful because we have been told through our childhood the brain is still developing when you're a child, right? It is actually developing neural pathways. And if you're consistently gaslighted through your childhood and told, 
we don't believe you, um, I don't believe you, you know, if you tell anyone they're not going to believe you, like you're just kind of this weak piece of whatever that I'm going to do whatever I want to, how do you think we feel when a grown adult doesn't want to hear or doesn't believe our story, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's, like I, th- I think this is a big piece and I like I am so, so um, supportive of people talking out more but I think we also need to listen, right? So it's talk and listen. It's it's yeah, it's, it's absolutely inside, right. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not trying to uh, like fix it all the time. Where mm. as, as Aussies, mm. we like want to be helpful. Oh, well, how mm. about this? Have you tried this? Have you tried that? Mm-hmm. Most of the time, survivors are well. Look, they've had to survive and get through this mm. whole thing, and they're pretty independent, um, and they're also a little bit arrogant. It's mm. like, how dare you try to tell me how to fix this? And they automatically get really defensive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's well, that's true for me. I'm like, hang on, mm-hmm. what do you know about this? I'm like, <laughs> you know, um, so it's it's just one of those things. It's just like don't try to fix it all the time. Like really listen to see what they're asking of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might even want to pop in there and go, oh, look, um, I'm not really the right person for this. or Because sometimes you don't have the capacity. You might not be in the right space yourself. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, like just say, look, how, how would you, do you want me to give you advice or would you like me just to listen? Like just mm-hmm. say it, yeah. you know. So, yeah, but look, it, it's, gosh, there's so much, so much we can talk about. Um, but I think one, one really important thing is, and I know like just looking at your rap sheet in, in the most positive and beautiful way, you've made so many like, contributions to the world to the government to you know ICMIC Australia like you're doing some amazing work like how how for you is your story and and what you're doing uh how how does it impact yeah um they're they're definitely related and not necessarily just in a bad way right so trauma doesn't just totally mess you up and you you can't do anything with it like there's actually, there's a huge amount of lessons and resilience. Like we talked about like reading the room and, and kind of, you know, understanding a lot of information at one time. Um, for me, like for whatever reason, I just, I just fluked the stars and my survival strategy, the one thing I could control was work, right? Yeah. So when I was at school, I was, I was working and I was, super nerdy like not in a social way like I had heaps of friends but I was academic like I I liked learning I was competitive I liked being in the classes and that was my focus I could control it and I could feel a sense of pride in what I was doing right like I would work super hard um and I you know that that paid off um and you know I I did things like I went to university and did multiple degrees and then and had like the most amazing experiences through work and all that kind of stuff but it was a fluke like it was it was statistically a total fluke like I could have gone in the complete other direction mm. and gone into drugs and alcohol and you know a whole bunch of other stuff which is the most likely outcome um but I just fluked it and that became the thing that could, that became the thing that I could control um, and I could work really hard at and I could see like results, <laughs> like whether it was a score or whatever. Um, and then I just, you know, work-wise, I, I made a very kind of clever really decision early on to be like, I don't care about the money. Um, I don't care about the ego. I don't care about the credit. I don't care about any of that stuff. I just want to do good work. Um, and I did a whole bunch of stuff like internationally and stuff and just got 
closer and closer and closer to child protection. Um, and there was obviously a very clear reason for that. Um, and, and this job for me now feels like it's just like the universe just aligned and opened the doors and said, okay, everything you've learned, um, you get to do it at the thing that like, frankly, you're not sleeping anyway, right? So you may as well be throwing, throwing your efforts towards this, which um, is just, I'm just so lucky, so lucky. Yeah, right. So can you tell us a little bit about the work that ICMIC is doing? Yeah, yeah, no, I'd love to. Um, so one of the easiest ways to explain it is, is we talked a lot about how, you know, children don't or can't report this crime, right? Um, and a lot of the kind of content that is shared of child sexual assault online um, is not reported by children. Um, often we don't even know who the victim is. Um, we do know that, um, you know, there are offenders out there and perhaps they're trading it online, so material, images, videos, all that kind of stuff. Um, so ICMEC in Australia was launched a year ago um, on the back of a, basically a 20-plus year experience for ICMEC globally. Um, so ICMEC's been globally working all over the world. Um, in Australia, we set up an office a year ago um, with a focus on online um, child sexual exploitation and how can we help pick up all those little digital fingerprints, right, that are left by offenders. So, you know, I, I was abused in the world where it didn't relate to the internet at all. Mm. Um, unfortunately now with the internet and online technology, it's a horrible playground for offenders. Like it's it's bloody easy to get to someone if you want to. Um, but the flip side of that is that they do often leave digital fingerprints all over the place. Um, so our biggest focus right now is looking at the financial transactions um, that offenders make. So often they'll pay particularly for live streaming of abuse of a child. Um, so we're helping the banks um, to, to kind of pick up what's a suspicious transaction, what kind of data are we seeing out there, how do we like then bring that together with law enforcement and how do we all collaborate as a sector? So banks, law enforcement, tech companies, academics, you know, there's amazing not-for-profits who are crawling around the dark web picking up data. We're basically compiling it um, to create the picture to go after these guys um, in the absence of children being able to report. Um, so as I said, the guy who offended against me, he's in prison now. So yeah. law enforcement did the job for me when I couldn't. And that is exactly what motivates me today. So there's little Annas and little Kells out there who don't even know that we're trying to do something to help them. Um, and that's that's pretty powerful. Wow. Yes, it is. And so needed, obviously, in this world of techno technological advances. And yeah. um, like it's just so easy to get even scammed these days, my goodness. Um, so, yeah, I, I hate to think uh, what's actually happening to our little people out there. So um, thank you for the work you're doing. <laughs> oh, thanks to the team. It's, it's incredible work. I've got great people. Mm. Um, we, we're probably just going to um, jump on and answer a couple of questions um, shortly. But just before I do, I really wanted to check in with you, like how, particularly for a lot of survivors out there who've got kids, mm. like how, how is that for you? How does that change the way you parent? And um, that's that's the that's the hardest part. Um, so you know, we talked about you can you can own the pain yourself, mm. but the last thing the last thing you want is to spread that pain. Um, and that is that's a whole whole different level of um, awful awfulness. Um, so my my two little ones, I'm. You know, I, I am so brutally aware that I'm not giving them the childhood that um, I want them to have. 
Um, and that's not because I'm doing anything wrong. It's because I'm, I'm hyper, hyper vigilant. These kids don't get to play in the way that kids should be able to, right? They don't get to, they don't get me to, you know, be quiet when they're climbing the boulders at the park. Um, they don't get to play in the front garden because I, I don't know who's driving up, right? Like I'm, I'm, it's such a battle to know that I'm holding them back in some ways. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I can't, I can't help myself on that, right? And, you know, when I first really realized what was going on, um, my kids were one and three, like they needed me so much. And, and I was there like too much, as I said, I'm, I am helicopter parenting these kids. <laughs> um, but I was also not really there. Like I was in the most excruciating pain. And um, I remember one day where it just felt so just, just too much. And I dropped them both at daycare and I sat in the car and I, I, I planned that I was going to go um, and I planned it out and I, and I knew they were going to call me first the daycare when I didn't pick them up because they always call the mum first because we live in that society. And then I was like, okay, so they'll call me at six and then they'll call my husband and then, then he'll know that something's gone, but that's okay. Cause that gives me like eight hours. And by that point I'm like, I'm out, I'm gone. And I guess that was my flight mechanism, but um, like, how shit is that right like all i ever wanted to do was to have kids and to give them the childhood that that i didn't get and now i can't help but not give them the perfect childhood that i have in my dreams um so th that's one of the worst things for me i think oh bless you i can see obviously i didn't want to make you upset or anything but i just really for there's a lot of parents out there that really struggle um being a survivor themselves and having kids and um i'm going to have my mom i'm going to interview my mother next week uh, i'm sorry next fortnight um and she is a survivor herself as well and you know she she said you know i never wanted this to happen to you you know and i i can't imagine what that's like and i really appreciate you sharing that because i know for so many parents out there they, they struggle with the, the very same thing um so you know you're definitely not alone uh, in that, but um, you know, I I think your kids will be the safest kids there are. But I, I do believe, like from from what I know of you already, they're going to be just like so blessed and so loved and cared for and safe. And you know, that's the best that we can hope for. Yeah, yeah. And the like the thing that's really interesting too is that they have protected me, like the uh, the biggest reason I survived is because of them, right? Like I, I, I don't get the option of leaving. I don't get the option of calling quits on this and them. Like you know, there's many days I, you know, we talked about you don't, you don't sleep after you've gone through something like this. You don't, you don't sleep. And there's many days I like you, you're operating on an hour of sleep or something like that. And the kids come in and it's just like, Oh, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> let's do this guys. Like I've got to live another day because I'm not leaving you behind. So, you know, it's in a way it's, it's kind of what you need. It's, it's really what you need to, to help you survive. Mm. So what would be your message to all the mums who are survivors out there? Oh God. I, or dads even. Um, I think like it's, it's the words that I would say, um, but I struggle with hearing myself, which is like, just be kind to yourself. Right. Like, the reason 
you're feeling this pain is most likely because you you love the hell out of these kids, right? Like that's the thing. Like that's the most important thing. And um, yeah, just just be kind to yourself. Like they're lucky to to have you. Um, and again, I say that to other people. This is it's harder to internalize it, but that's the truth, right? Like the reason I get so upset about how this might affect them by osmosis is because I just there's there's no one that I want harmed less than my kids, right? Like I just mm. yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and I think it's hard to be kind to yourself when you're so used to beating the hell out of yourself because it's your internal dialogue, right? I've mm. learned to really try and shut that down. As soon as I can hear myself saying that, just I, I just say to myself, just stop, stop what you're doing, just stop, and then I and I reaffirm my thinking. I have to do it, mm. um, but it's constant and it's it's. Um, until it becomes not constant anymore, right? Uh, and and it becomes a pattern then of, of thinking and your mindset. Like, you know, it's train your brain really. Like I know it sounds very cliche, but you can do it. You can do yeah. it and you've got to do the work. You'll do the healing. Yeah. 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 Um, cool. All right. Well, we will jump into some questions. I know that um, there's a couple of pinned here. So lovely Scott from on LinkedIn is asked, how, how can we work on our boundaries? So what, what do we both do for our boundaries? So I'll start with, start with you, Anna. <laughs> I, I wish I had a good answer for this one. Um, I, I'm not great with boundaries, um, being a people pleaser, to be really honest, but there are things that I'm starting to create non-negotiables for me. So I'm trying to, for instance, because I don't sleep, I'm trying to switch off earlier from work and all that because we're hearing this content all the time, right, at work. So I'm trying mm -hmm. to switch off earlier and I'm like, I'm out, I'm done. But equally, I can't go out for late dinners with people, right, because my brain goes into trauma mode and I go really crazy and I can't sleep. So I'm getting better and better about just saying I can't I can't do late nights and I can't do that. Um, the other thing is for me, like the gym and, and exercising and running and stuff has been my way to burn off the ridiculous amounts of cortisol that are constantly churning yes. through my body. Um, and so I'm getting better at that, about being like, I, you want me to go out for a run, like, trust me, everyone's life is going to be hell if I don't. So this is, and, and just finding those really, really small wins for myself, um, to, to get through the day really. But when it comes to boundaries with other people, like. I'm not great, to be really, really honest about it. I'm really not good. So do you mean like when people ask you to do things or? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. If you ask anyone who works with me what's Anna's biggest fault, I reckon one of them would be like she sucks at saying no, right? Like she's just so good to know this. <laughs> <laughs> so ask me anything because oh, I will right. tell you because I can't help myself, right? Like, yeah, hard. Oh, it's it's hard, isn't it? And and look, I think um, the process of boundaries. I kind of touched on it before, um, and it's got to be done. I think in in a safe space with the right people, um, and I think it, it's hard harder in workplaces. But I think you have to start at home, where you know you've got the capacity, and you have to be in the right environment. So. You know, it's 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 really tough, especially for a lot of kids. Um, you know, learning to get their body autonomy back and things like that after trauma, when they're put back into the same environment where the abuse has occurred, right? It's really tough to try and heal from that space. So, you know, it's it's just very true. The same for survivors of domestic violence. 
you know, trying to set your boundaries in place when the other part of the person is not a safe person to be able to set those boundaries in place with, you know. So to me it's like having that conversation saying, look, these are some of the tricks. Like right from the beginning, if you start dating someone, you know, it's like, look, these are the things I'm not okay with. These are my no-go zones. These are my go-go zones. And we're like, hell yeah, zones. But <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have that conversation before you even start and just say, these are my rules. And, you know, you can change those as you go through, but I think you've got to start out from the beginning and um, you've got to do the work. It's not just like being able to set boundaries, but you've got to do the healing of the internal stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because for me like it's taken a really long time to even speak proudly and and feel like 100% confident in my own skin where I can say with power oh I'm not okay with this Mm. because there's one thing to set a boundary and be like oh look you know I'm just kind of you know look I'm maybe not really sort of like okay with that I don't know because any narcissistic or like manipulative person's just going to go well i'm just going to you know step all over that and Mm. fully take advantage of you like when you put a boundary in place it's a you know i'm talking about this in my second book that i haven't finished writing yet i talk about it like crime scene tape right like you don't get to go past this yeah you don't get to go past this until i say like your boundaries need to be firm and only you're the only one that can can to can move those Mm. you know allow that person to come in your boundary so, you know, it's it's got to be done in a safe space. And, look, it, it, it's not uh, it's not like there's a workshop or anything that <laughs> you, you can sort of do, but it, it does start with, I guess, finding out what your vulnerabilities are, asking yourself, yeah. like, you know, where is it that I feel? And, like, when someone breaks your boundary, it's kind of like you can feel that violation. You can feel like something's not right, like even if you can't put a name to it. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. I would just really encourage anyone not to dismiss that feeling, mm. like really get curious about why that was so upsetting and, you know, ask yourself. And even if you're brave enough, have the conversation with that person just to say, look, can you just have a conversation with me about what just happened and and explore that with that person and just say, look, you know, this, mm. you know, is obviously something I need to do some work on. Do you mind if we don't do that until I figure it out? Like <laughs> whatever it is for you, you know. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. Beautiful advice. Yeah. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So uh, trust is a big thing for me. Is that an issue for you both, Anna? Yeah, 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 it is. And um, I, I'm, I'm really, really trusting from the get-go, surprisingly, actually. Um, so I, I actually kind of, I would say sometimes I'm a bit naive, really. Um, so I trust people a lot, um, but when it's broken, it's gone, right? Like it's very hard for me to come back from that, right? So it's, yeah, it's really surprising that I, I kind of go in there with that kind of like, you know, unicorns and rainbows, like, oh, I'm sure this is a great person. They, they only have wonderful intent. Um, and so I, I do trust people, but then, yeah, like it's very hard to come back if you've broken that trust, um, very, very hard. And, and I don't, I think that's quite problematic. Like I I actually, um, I'm not great with mistakes and I'm not great with like, just understanding that like, you know, they probably just messed up, but I'm also like, I lose trust with people for reasons that probably I've, 
over engineered in my head right so and that's part of the shame thing right like I bet they did this thing because they don't like me and you know they just like I'm not worthy and I'm like a piece of crap and all this kind of stuff um the reality is like often it's just got nothing to do with me right like <laughs> you know you don't need to be so narcissistic this is not about you Anna um but yeah it's just yeah I guess it's a probably survival thing too right like if you if you go across that line like the boundaries yeah. are going up yeah I'm very much, uh, I think the police thing is harder for mm. me because I've got these stereotypes. I don't say we don't stereotype, but you kind of have this picture of what people are and you're very good at um, trusting your instinct about what a certain person is like. But I'm very much like you. I'm like, yep, yeah, whatever, I love you, come here, I'll do anything for you, I'll give you hugs, whatever, until you burn the bridge. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what anybody else has said about that person. I'm generally really like, okay, no worries, until they burn the bridge with me and then mm -hmm. that's it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it has to be that personal trust is broken, not because it's been broken with somebody else. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess yeah. it does manifest in me being overly trusting and not having those boundaries. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What boundaries? Why Isn't that interesting that we would both like walk into meeting people in relationships just like openly like let's go in this has got to be safe right I'm just got to be fine <laughs> just give them the benefit of the doubt like it's kind of it's surprising let's say that we can explore this in another episode <laughs> it's it's uh yes I'm, I'm quite intrigued but i reckon that that does deserve another conversation um okay what do you think uh the gift what do you think is the gift because of what you've both experienced that you are here to share. Well, it can be taken a few different ways, but I think is what is your purpose and that we're here right now doing this. I think that's what um, Lizzie's referring to. Um, I'll, I'll try if I can um, get the intent of the question. I mean, it, it might be a little bit off topic, but I think like the, the gift for me right now is the work that I, I get to do, right? Mm. Like, it's just for years and years and years, I felt like I was the victim. They were coming after me. And now, you know what? Like, I feel like I flipped that narrative. Like the work we're doing, like we're going after them, right? <laughs> like we're finding you know, all of the kind of bits of data and the digital transactions and all this kind of stuff. And we're going after them. And that feels bloody good because I think about like, if I like help one kid be safer, it's worth it. And just it, it just makes the whole experience feel less like a complete waste of my life, right? Like it yeah. has meaning now. It was for a reason, right? It was for a reason and I've pivoted it and and yes, it happened and yes, it was it was shit, but like I've pivoted and there's a reason, now. there's a purpose and that's that's nice, right? Like that actually yeah. feels really nice. Yeah, I, I totally get that and I, I guess like I've often um done these things and gone why the fuck would i just keep throwing myself on the sword like i've shared my story quite a few times and i'm very grateful that i have the platform to do that now and that's because of the support of this amazing community like it's it's been wonderful um but i i get messages and i I'll hear from someone who can validate that or share that experience and say you know i had that happen to me too thank you for sharing you know and it just makes a difference to know that um the work is helping that the work is changing lives, that people um, are able to put protective strategies in place for their kids now. And, you know, I know, I know that my my pain has 
um, you know, change the family's life because their kids are now a lot safer because you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. uh, so I, I, I will keep doing this. I'll be like old and have false teeth and I'll still be mm -hmm. trying to do podcasts. So, you know, it's, it, it is, it is my passion and it is my purpose. So that is my gift to the world, I believe. Mm -hmm. So and another question there from Claire is, do you find that uh, shame represents itself in your life? I think it's called imposter syndrome, Claire Bear. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I guess. I, I had this discussion yes. earlier today. Yeah. Yeah, particularly around men. I wrote a post about this not long ago. Um, I really struggle to present my ideas and my thoughts mm -hmm. around particularly strong men, not because they're bad men, because they're amazing men, but I still feel like my voice doesn't matter. And it's definitely not true at all. It's just me talking myself down. <laughs> so, but yeah, I guess that's how it shows up for me is I sabotage my own success because of how uh, I continue to, well, it's, I don't want to say that I allow this, my uncle, my perpetrator who is still alive, but that's okay. <laughs> um, he does not have power and control over me. And my story does not have power and control over me because otherwise I wouldn't be doing this, you know. Um, but there are moments in, in those small moments when it's hard or I'm tired and I don't feel like I can continue to go. Like that's when those negative thoughts really kind of wear you down when you don't feel like you've got the energy to fight them. Um, and, and that just kind of gets buried, you know, and then it just takes, again, you have to make those brave decisions in the moments, all the moments, every moment, and it's so fatiguing sometimes. You know, that's why you need tribe. That's why you need to connect. That's why you need friends like Anna and you need friends like you guys who are, like, you know, supporting this and who are there and, and, you know, asking questions and engaging with the content because it makes us feel like this conversation that us sharing um you know, it matters and it's valuable and, um, you know, it's helping because that's what keeps us doing this. It's what keeps us showing up. All right. So we might just go with one more question. Um, and it's from the lovely Mel. Do either of you find people asking how you work in this subject matter given you were abused yourself? I'm asked more often than I like these days and the question comes across very judgmental as though there's something wrong with me for wanting to take my resilience, wanting to take my resilience to help others. So you can answer that, Anna. You, you're right in there. Um, that, that's an awesome question. Um, and, yes, um, I, I get asked it all the time. Um, and when I was first considering you know, taking this job, um, you know, people who knew my story were like, oh, really? Like, that's going to be pretty uncomfortable having to hear that content and know all that kind of stuff all the time. And um, it was, you know, it was a big consideration for me. I was like, oh, is this going to be too much, right? Like, can I, can I handle this? Um, and actually, I spoke to my friend who I mentioned before, who's the specialist in, in this area. And she said, actually, it can be really helpful for people um, to feel like they have that sense of purpose I just talked about. Um, and that's, what it's been like for me like it has been really lovely to feel like I'm doing something proactively against this kind of stuff now um so that that makes it worth it mm. but there are very 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 hard days um and it's like this right like there are days where I've had to read a whole bunch of stories um there was um one case of like and I'm not going into it anywhere near what you know 
Kellen and law enforcement looks at, right? Like I, I don't have to see any of that level of detail, but there is a lot of kind of content and pictures. There was one picture of a little girl who was the same age as my two-year-old who was being sexually abused and like it messed me up for weeks. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's it's up and down. Um, and yes, constantly getting questions about like, how could you do that? And my kind of response is like, someone has to. <laughs> so, um, you know, it's like, I think the more people who do this, the better. Um, and for me, it's it's been really helpful actually. So it's been quite a good thing. Mm. Just, just if you can give one tip uh, to anyone who's working in the industry, who's like obviously it's hard. Um, what, what do you do for you to look after yourself? Um, I, I'm increasingly flagging when it's too much, and I would say that's that's what I recommend the team to do too. Um, so if anyone feels like, do you know what, I'm I'm out, like I can't, I just can't do this for a while, like. Like I think having the the courage to say that um, is actually really really important, and it's it's a very hard thing to say, right? Like when you're surrounded by fifteen other people in an office mm. who are doing the same work, you feel really weird to be like, do you know what? I can't hack it. I'm out. Like I can't. I'm. But I think we're we're trying to create a culture where that's a very open discussion to have. Like, and I said to the team, like even if you want a number. Like on a scale of one to 10, how's everyone doing today? Cool. You're at a one, you're going home. Cool. We'll see you in a few days when you're ready. And and yeah. just having that kind of vulnerability to say, this is not a good day for me. Or, you know what, this is like, I'm feeling good today. I reckon I can take on more. And hey, Kel, do you want me to take some stuff off, off you or, or whatever it is? And just having that like humanity and vulnerability. It's really hard to fess up when you're not handling things well. Really hard. It's a very big survivor's trait to say, not be able to say what you need so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's uh that's awesome i'm i'm learning myself as well so yeah definitely being vulnerable and a lot of people think being vulnerable is weak but mm. brene brown if you know anything yeah. about her work she is incredible she tells you it's a massive pillar of strength and i happen to agree with her so mm. um yeah anyway guys tonight oh my god Anna. It's uh, we're already done. See, look, well, there goes an hour and how quick that that happens. Um, but if you've joined us tonight, I thank you so much for being part of our very first Off the Cuff with Kel. Um, I'm hoping to do this every fortnight uh, live and then this will be uploaded uh, by Podfire Australia to my website and streamed on all podcasting platforms. So uh, just a couple of things, guys. Um, there will be a Patreon account I'm setting up, so stay tuned for details about that. Um, but, again, if any of the content has triggered you guys, you can head to my website. There's a support page with lots of numbers on there. So make sure you reach out. Um, and, obviously, if you are struggling with an emergency, call triple zero or your local law enforcement agency. Um, but uh, the live show, again, Ikmek, thank you to Fran, uh, who's in the background helping us out there. Um, and we will see you guys in a fortnight. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you so much for being part of Off the Cuff with Kel. Breaking cycles of abuse and trauma is not something that can be done alone and requires all of us working together. Your support makes a huge difference. If you've found the content of this podcast valuable, you can support my work through my Patreon account at patreon.com forward slash Kelly Humphreys. You can also find me on all major social media platforms. Through my website, kellyhumphreys.com, you can contact me for speaking in workshops as well as purchase my first book, 
Unscathed Beauty. If you found any of the content today distressing, please reach out to appropriate support agencies in your country. For emergencies, contact your local law enforcement agency.